Hi, y'all. My name is Anita, and my alias is Sam. <laughs> so, and I am. <laughs> thank you. And I am a grateful member of uh, the Big Book Al-Anon Family Group in Dallas, Texas. And uh, oh my God, they can hear me now. (laughs) And I had no earthly idea of what I'm going to say, so y'all better say a prayer for me here. Um, Okay. (laughs) They didn't tell me. I usually write my name down so I can remember it, and that's not my name, but. Like I say, I'm a grateful member of the Al-Anon family group, and I want to thank the committee for inviting me. Uh, I haven't decided yet why they invited me, but uh, that's okay. It's my turn. Uh, <laughs> and I t- I've got to tell you that Ortha and uh, Gary have been absolute wonderful hostess and host. And uh, you other speakers, I got the good ones. They have been absolutely wonderful to us and feeding us. And, and Ortho's been giving me little presents and encouragements because she knew I was shaking like this. You know, I'm kind of like the duck that I look calm up here. Those feet are going 90 miles an hour down below. Uh, let me tell you why I think I'm in Al-Anon. I know there's not, you're not supposed to give opinions from this podium, but I have a point of view. And this is the reason that I think that I'm in Al-Anon, is because I have a home group. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. I sponsor people that sponsor people. I've taken the 12 steps, and uh, I've taken the traditions, and we use them in our home. So, um, and I do my service work in my home group and wherever else they invite us. we're having a conference right now in uh, Dallas called the North Texas Roundup. And part of that conference is that they uh, certify you to go in the jails. And I was intending to do that uh, so that I could go in the jails because i got to tell you that I couldn't go in last Christmas with my husband and talk because I wasn't certified and they didn't let me in. So I thought, I'll show them. I'll just get certified. <laughs> so... Uh, but that's all right. I can get certified later, and uh, there's many places in order to do that. Um, like I say, I have no earthly idea of what I'm going to say here. Um, God's going to shake it out of me in a minute. I understand that. I had told Larsina earlier I was certainly glad it wasn't a competition because I hate losing. You know, uh, we're very good competitors. And I've got to tell you, I love, I absolutely love AA and the members in AA because it's been AA people that have gotten me here, that have kept me here, and they weren't necessarily Larry either. <laughs> but, uh, I was born in a, a small town that, a long time ago. Far, far away, a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, I've got to tell you this because I have found um, cousins that, you know, cousins now get away from you and this sort of thing. And when I tell people where I'm from and where I was born and this sort of thing, I've had cousins afterwards pop up that I had lost track of and you know, just barely remembered who they were. I know I was in Wichita Falls one time, and uh, I told them where I was born and uh, this sort of thing. And so after the meeting, he came by. This little guy came by, and he said, Do you know? And he started naming all these people that are my relatives. And uh, finally I said, uh, Could you tell me your name, please? And so he told me, and it was one of my cousins. And another time I was in Dallas and found another cousin. Now, these were all men. The women are probably Al-Anon somewhere, but they're hiding their head in the sand, I assure you, because I did that many, many many years. Uh, Like I said, I was born in Cooper, Texas, and it's kind of a northeast Texas area place. And um, I guess when I was uh, nine months old, my father died, 
and uh, my mother had to uh, move to Dallas in order to get work in this sort of thing, and this was during World War One. That tell you how old I am, and <laughs> and she came to Dallas, and she wanted desperately to bring me to Dallas with her to stay with some relatives so that she could see me when she was not working. Well, even at nine months old, I must have been a little brat because I wanted to stay with my grandmother and my grandfather because my mother was the eldest of uh, eight children, and she was the only one left. My um, my youngest uncle is only four years older than I am, and I wanted to stay with the kids. So uh, I stayed with my uh, grandparents, and I always perceived in my mind that I was really unloved, and this isn't true. This was just a perception. Uh, Al-Anons have the perceptions that are totally untrue also. They also have expectations that are totally unreal. And... Uh, <laughs> And I guess, like I say, my father died when I was nine months old. Uh, when I was 18 months old, um, I was cross-eyed, and I had to have an operation and start wearing glasses. Now, this is another stigma in my mind, because kids can be so ugly, you know, telling you you're your four eyes and, and you know, you're not pretty and, and this sort of thing. And uh, it, it affected me because... I'm a people pleaser, and I want you to like me. And <laughs> so I was growing up with that without a father. When I was um, four years old, my mother remarried. And um, I've got to tell you, I can't say that he's an alcoholic or, or whatnot, but he certainly waddled and quacked. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and we had many... Um, disagreements. Uh, I was telling you that that I thought I was totally unloved. Well, I had relatives in Dallas when my mother was working down here that wanted to keep me or adopt me even. And it was like, no. And so when my mother married my stepfather, his brother uh, and his wife wanted to adopt me because they had two sons and I would be the little girl, the little princess right in between. And they said no. And uh, my mother said no, that uh, she loved me too much to let someone else have me. And of course I didn't see it that way. I was wondering what was going on. But uh, we uh, moved from, uh, well, just before we moved, <laughs> My mother got pregnant. Now, this is back in the days when you don't tell your kids you're pregnant or anything like that. It's like, surprise, one day you have a little brother or a little sister or something like that. Well, she is, uh, she is pregnant, and she had this baby prematurely. And so back in those days, you don't touch the little preemies. So I felt unloved again because all the attention was on this baby and not on me. Now, I've got to also tell you that I think after the first step, all Alamans are just like AAs. <laughs> I mean, we have to do the, the first step. Uh, we're obsessed with alcoholics, not alcohol and control issues and uh, this sort of thing. But uh, our grandson later, uh, this is a bit much later, his mother was telling him when uh, she was pregnant, you're going to be a big brother in that neat, you know, and uh, he, she kept telling him that and building him up. And so he was thinking one day, and he said, hey, Mom, if you have a little girl, will I be a big sister? <laughs> and I thought, I like the way this kid thinks. It made logic to me. But... <clears throat> Anyway, uh, I had this little sister, and uh, I could have nothing to do with her. We moved from uh, Paris, Texas, to Dallas, and that's where I went to school. And, you know, I've got to tell you, I always needed Al-Anon because sometimes I became the caretaker when I didn't want to be. Uh, we were talking earlier about Lincoln, Nebraska. As I was growing up, I had this father that drank too much. And I had a dear girlfriend that as much time as possible I would go and spend with her. And she and her mother, and I thought that was okay. But I never wanted her to come to my house because 
no telling what my alcoholic stepfather would do to embarrass me. Well, come to find out, her father was in prison, and I thought that was okay. And so we went, I went on vacation with them one year, and they lived in Minnesota. Her, her, my, her grandparents lived in Minnesota. And we stopped in Lincoln, and surprise, surprise, I get to meet her father. <laughs> now, I don't know if he was a horse thief or whatever he was, you know, hot checks. I don't know why he was in prison, never cared. But uh, this family is very important to me because uh, later I went to live with them. Um, I went through high school. They had This family had moved. He had gotten out of prison, and they had moved to a little town called Irving, Texas, which nowadays is just a suburb of Dallas. And uh, so I went on through high school in, in Dallas and, and this sort of thing, and uh, went to church. I was such a good girl. I went to church, you know, every time the doors were open and was in the GAs and, and tried to get into their RAs, but they wouldn't let me um, because that was for boys. Uh, like I say, I, I continued to go to, to church and, and this sort of thing. When I graduated from high school, uh, I wanted to go to college. And I really couldn't afford it unless I worked in this sort of thing. So this girlfriend's father and mother invited me to come and live with them out in Irving and got me a job and a car, and I was able to live with them, go to school, and work. Now, Al-Anons are extremely obsessive, too. I just told you that we're not much different from AAs because (laughs) we're weird. We really are. (laughs) So I got this job, and I was going to school, and all of a sudden, I'm a late bloomer. I discover boys. And so... I was working, going to school, and trying to date, and this sort of thing. And it got entirely too much. There's not enough hours in the day to do all of this stuff, to work an eight-hour day, to take a, a full load in college and date. I mean, you're running out of time. So something had to go. So, you know, smart. They call it keen alcoholic thinking. I don't think so. Uh, this is Al-Anon thinking. I quit school. So I could work and have money for clothes to go out on dates in this sort of <laughs> Well, then the dates kind of dried up there for a little while. And so I'm working along, and uh, I decided I needed another job. So I, I applied to the telephone company. And back in those days, you went to work for the telephone company and worked for 40 years, retired, and died. But uh, so, so I got on at the telephone company, and... Uh, We've been talking about to worth ethics this week uh, where I work now. And uh, I was working for White's Auto Store. And I'm the type of person I was hired to take the money in and run the cash register and do a little bit of filing and this sort of thing. And uh, I learned how to do that. I got bored. So I learned how to sell on the floor. I learned how to do all the books in the office. You know, and this sort of thing. And it's really easy to do when it's not your job, really. You know, you can learn to do all of this and do it when you want to. And uh, so when I went to work for the telephone company, uh, my boss out there, and by the way, he's the one that named me Sam. Called, he started calling me Sam the office boy because uh, I wore blue jeans all the time because we had a rode horses and this sort of thing. And uh so, you know, I would get ready in case I got off from work halfway early to go and ride the horses. So I had the blue jeans, and I wasn't real well endowed. And so uh, he started calling me Sam the office boy, and it really stuck. <laughs> Everybody calls me Sam now. They only call me Anita, you know, like the, R- the IRS and things like that, <laughs> you know, our family members. <laughs> Of course, my family members don't call me Anita. They call me Neely. <laughs> they just run my middle name and my first name and my middle name together and all of this good kind of stuff. Now, i got to tell you, I was always needing Alan. I, I never heard of it. Now, I went to work for the phone company. This guy wanted to fire his... Um, he told me if I wouldn't go, he would fire the office manager and give me a raise and let me stay there. Well, the office manager was my friend. And so I told him, no, I wouldn't do that. So um, he said, well, 
shortly after I left, she quit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. So he called me in. So I was working for the phone company and then going on weekends to balance his books and so forth at White's Auto Store. Well, this got kind of boring and all. Nothing was going on in my life. So I started working for um, as a key-punch operator in, at Zales at night during the week. And so, um, you know, that way I, I'm getting a full day. I work for the phone company. I go to work at Zales at night and, and uh, weekends at, uh, at White's Auto Store. And then I had a friend that uh, worked for White's Auto, not White's Auto Store, Montgomery Wards in the catalog department. And it was, you know, coming time when they were really busy and they were shorthanded. So I volunteered, you know. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't real hard for me to learn to say uh, yes when I once came to Al-Anon because I've been volunteering for everything all my life. And so now I have four jobs, you know, and I've got to tell you, if I sold you anything at Montgomery Wards that you didn't use, I was just working my mouth trying to get a sale. Who knows? But, <laughs> and then during this time, I there was a girlfriend at the telephone company. She decided I really didn't have a life. And that um, she had a boyfriend and that he could get me a blind date. So she set me up with a blind date. And this blind date started calling me about two weeks before. Um, well, it was probably just right after uh, New Year's in, in 66. And immediately we started lying to each other. Haven't laid eyes on each other, but we're lying to each other, you know, uh, telling us all sorts of things. I've got to tell you, one of the things that uh, this blind date told me was that um, he was a paratrooper and jumped out of planes and all of this kind of stuff. And actually, I'm really gullible. Maybe not as much as I used to be, but I'm really gullible. And I was telling him things like... um, Things like, I weighed this much then. I weighed about 98 then. And uh, trying to scare him off, I think. Finally, we went out on this blind date. And, of course, you all know where we went. We went straight to a club. I don't even think he ever fed me. You know, I mean, it, it was drinking all night. And we set up a date for the next day. And uh, he was new to Texas. So... Uh, he could find my girlfriend's house. And y'all, she almost kept him. Uh, she wouldn't, she fed him breakfast before uh, she would tell him where I lived and this sort of thing. And I'm wondering, why isn't he calling or why isn't he here? Now, this started, like he said, it's not a courtship. It was kind of an arrangement or whatever. And on Sunday, that Sunday when he finally got there, I think we went to play some golf. Uh, we played some tennis. And we may have gone bowling. You know, we did everything because we're obsessive. You know, let's do everything before time runs out. And uh, wore me out, actually, you know, doing all of these things in one day. But this started our relationship. And what would happen was after a few days or something, now, he drives funny now, but he really drove funny in those days. And uh, he would come over, and I would say, Honey, I don't get to drive new cars all the time because he was in the car business and had demos that you're not supposed to let anybody else drive. And I said, Could I drive your car? And it's like, Sure, why not? So our date started consisting of he would come over, hand me the keys. We would drive down to a little drive-in. I swear, I don't know if they had any food or not. And I would buy him drinks until I ran out of money or he passed out, whichever came first. And then I would drive back home, hand him the keys, and hope he would get home all right. Now, there, there was a few times that he was totally unable to get home. It must have been after payday or something. And he had to sleep on my couch. And uh, that did not go over well with my mother and my stepfather. And uh, and my sister thought it was kind of funny, you know, uh, actually. But uh, it kept them up all night because I guess they were afraid I was going to go in and talk to him or he was going to wander someplace else. And 
one of the I was one of the amends that I had to make to my stepfather was that uh, I did come in really late one night, and he had gotten up. I don't know. He may have been waiting on me. I don't know. And he said, "Well, why didn't you invite him in for breakfast?" And I said, "Well, I didn't know you had it ready. I'll go get him." <laughs> you know, just little picky things like this. Uh, my stepfather and I actually, most of the time, did not get along well. But I've got to tell you that later on, I was uh, able to take care of him in his old age and, and this sort of thing uh, after my mother died. Um, that little sister I told you about was his actual daughter. And uh, she was totally incapable of taking care of him, so uh, somebody had to. And, you know, I'm a control freak. So... Uh, I was able to take care of him, but uh, then after a while of this dating, he would, Larry would go out and uh, get drunk, and uh, the first time he did this and got put in jail, he called me up and he said, um, "Hun, I'm in jail. Could you come and get me in the morning? And it may cost a little money, but uh, would you come and get me?" And I thought. Oh, he needs me. <laughs> now, I already knew all of his relatives and this sort of thing. He had absolutely no one in Texas except me, I thought. I get down to the jail the next morning, and I run into this girl that I had seen before, and I said, uh, what are you doing down here? And she said, well, Larry called me. <laughs> to come uh, Really? <laughs> now, I found out much later that uh, Larry had gotten out of jail and uh, was standing back because he saw both of us standing there and he wanted to see who won. <laughs> I did. <laughs> she left and, uh, you know, I got to pay the bill and I got to drive him home and, and uh, all of this good kind of stuff. <laughs> he did tell y'all that we fell into sick, didn't he? <laughs> This, y'all, this started, you know, this happened all the time. I mean, one time he was in jail and I had to go and get his brother. His brother wasn't in jail. I had to go and get his brother. He came to visit him and take him home and and this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, th this continued to happen all the time. And uh, he told you about... Uh, the lawyer dying and this sort of thing. The lawyer used to not go unless Sam came to pick him up and took him down to the jail and then brought him home. And usually I would pay the bill because, you know, drinking is expensive. And more so nowadays. I don't know how people do it nowadays. But back in those days, you know, I thought it was expensive. And I certainly tried to keep up with him, but I never could. Never could. We have a few of the guys that... Uh, the big book group sometimes will tell me, if you just had another beer, you might could come into our, our room. And <laughs> now I've already tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, we kept going to jail. And now, it, this rocked along for a while, and uh, I've got to tell you about another deal that, that he usually did. Now, he always let me drive. After that very first time, he always let me drive because I'm a control freak. He lets me drive today, too. And if he happens to be driving, you can better bet that I will have his car keys in my purse just in case that I need to take over. And, uh, but we would go out on a date, which usually consisted of me driving him around and him drinking. And uh, sometimes he was in the back seat and sometimes he was in the front seat. But it was like, um, let's go to Oklahoma and get married. Nah, well, it's too soon, you know, this sort of thing. Uh, probably not. Yeah, 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 let's go to Oklahoma and get married. And so I would start down 75 to go to Oklahoma, and uh, he would pass out, and I'd turn around and go home. <laughs> Y'all, this happened not once, not twice, not three times. This happened a bunch of times. So finally, I had gone to um, the uh, our pat my pastor, because I told you I'd gone to church a bunch up until I got grown. And uh, 
and talked to him. And since Larry had been married before, he wanted to talk to both of us, not just one of us. And so we had set this deal up that uh, we would uh, meet in about two weeks. And so um, I guess this was May the 26th. He was working, and he went out. And um, what happened was that I'm telling you this because Alanon's can lie probably better than AAs and get away with it. Uh, he went out to drink, and he was coming home. I was waiting at his apartment because we had a date. It's getting pretty late, and this is kind of stupid. This is getting to be midnight or so, or quite late, or 11. I don't know what it was. And while he was coming up in Dallas, he um, went to stop at a red light. Well, he stopped, but there was a car in front of him, so he hit it. And he said, whoops, and he backs up, and he hits another car. And so they all pull into the service station. The other two people call the police, and Larry calls Sam. And I go running because he needs me. Uh, <laughs> I get down there, and you ladies know, I don't care if you're AA or I'm not, y'all know that if you're talking to a policeman and you know another policeman, and I happen to have two cousins on the police department, and it's like, do you know? And if that doesn't work, then there's always the tears. And so I start crying and saying, you know, that this was his bachelor party and that we're getting married. And, you know, he must have been tired of me or something or believed me or something. And he said, okay, I will let you take him home, but I'm going to keep the car. I said, okay. So I go over and Larry's already in the back of the car, you know, with his handcuffs behind him and this sort of thing. And he starts getting out and I say, honey, this nice man's going to let me take you home, but he's going to impound your car. And it's like, oh, that dog won't hunt. And so they throw him back in the car, and uh, he goes to jail. And uh, so the, it was the next day that I got him out, and he asked me this question about, uh, you know, what we should do. And I told him that we should get married because I firmly believed that a good woman is all he needed to take care of his alcoholism, or I didn't even call it that, his drinking problem. And... <laughs> And I've got to tell you, even after we got married, my mantra was, if only he would stop drinking, it would be okay. i got to tell you, folks, sobriety, if that's the only thing you do, if it's the only thing you do, both in, uh, for AA and for Al-Anon, that's not enough. And I've always got to remember that in Al-Anon, it's is alcoholism not wasm, and, uh, you know, I still have isms also. Uh, like I say, we got him out of jail, and he's tried to make amends, y'all. Look at this. <laughs> he keeps saying that amends can be completed, and with this one, I kind of, no, maybe not. <laughs> He sponsors a jeweler, too, so we kind of get it in cahoots occasionally. <laughs> but we got married, and uh, by this used car salesman in Oklahoma, we almost got thrown in jail again because uh, on the way back, uh, this friends of ours and all, we stopped in Sherman, and actually they kicked us out of this uh, club because they thought that since the guys had on suits, that they were the liquor control board. And so they kind of kicked us out because they didn't like us up in Sherman. <laughs> and, uh, and the next day, we decided, I decided, that we would move from his apartment because there were too many keys out that weren't for me. <laughs> so we always do things in excess. And that one day, uh, we called his... Uh, boss and told him that we were moving and this sort of thing and nobody was thinking it was going to work and we didn't either but uh, we moved out of his apartment we moved out of my apartment into our apartment now this started a trend with us you know every time rent came due we moved we got very proficient at it 
And like I say, our marriage did not get better, did not help his alcoholism. We had a little girl in 1970, and uh, she's the light of my life. And uh, I have two other stepchildren now, and they all belong to Larry, but... uh, and I've got to tell you, we've got the smartest grandkids of anybody in the whole wide world. We really do. They're all talented, and they're all smart, and they all show potential. That really worries me. <laughs> because some, most of the time, people that have potential don't live up to them. Uh, uh, like I say, our marriage did not get better, and I'm still thinking... If only he would quit drinking, everything would be okay. Everything would be okay. It's not. And he told you what happened. Uh, Now, that night on September the 17th, the miracle started happening because when he told me uh, to call, now, first of all, earlier than that, when he came in, never before had I refused to give him anything he wanted. But that night he came in, and I don't know what happened. He asked for money, and I said, no. And, you know, he tried everything in the world from being uh, real lovey-dovey, this sort of thing, and it was like, get away from me, uh, to being mean and hateful and throwing things, and and that's how he ended up in the middle of the floor, y'all. He was throwing things, and he fell down. But... uh, And, of course, the TV is on because in a drunk's house or a drunk's family, the TV's always on for noise. And uh, the miracle started happening the instant he said to call this number on this screen. And the miracle is the phone was in another room. I cannot remember numbers to this day, phone numbers, nothing. And he said, go call these people. And I was able to go into the other room and call that number. And... uh, go and, you know, get some help. And the man told me, the man that I talked to was a man named Tony Sherman in uh, AA, and he was very, very helpful to me. And so I went and got him booze and put him to bed. Now, I needed to go to work the next day, so I had to call in. But I got up like a good little Alamon and uh, packed his bag and this sort of thing and woke him up. I said, honey, it's time to go to treatment. He said, uh, let's think about this. Well, I don't know what happened. I probably gave him the only threat that I've ever given him, and it's like, if you don't get up right now and go to treatment with me, I will have the police out here before noon, and I hope they bury you way under the jail. And uh, I must have been sincere because... uh, he got up and went to treatment. Now, he tried to escape. Once we got there, we had a suitcase in the back of the car, and we were in the lobby because we didn't know what to do. And so we were talking to Tony, and Larry said, give me the keys. I'm going to uh, go and get my suitcase out of the trunk. And I'm looking at him, and finally Tony says, let me have the keys. And he goes and gets the suitcase out of the trunk and brings me back the keys. And uh, it's amazing. This, ha- uh, this halfway house was, what, about two blocks from our house, and we never knew it was there, called Center Hospital. Now, at this point in time, I did not know anything about Al-Anon or um, AA, nothing. Now, I had heard the words alcoholics because some of Larry's family called him that, but I didn't know what it meant. I really didn't, and I certainly didn't know what Al-Anon meant. Um, so they, Tony put him in, into this place, and one of the conditions was that you cannot see anybody or talk to your family for 10 days. i got to tell you, that was wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. You know, I got some rest. I've got to tell you also that uh, a, call, a telephone call from a jail has a different ring than uh, just, you know, Ortha calling me. I know this is true because we get calls now. We're in a position where some of the guys call from jail to to talk to Larry. And it totally does have a different ring. I am not crazy. It really does. And I won't answer it. (laughs) 
because I know they're always calling for him nowadays, and it's not him. But I used to answer that, but I would always know, you know, he didn't ever have to say, uh, I never had to say, where are you? Because I could always know. Now, uh, we got into the program, and um, let me tell you about Tony. He said, um, now what he said was, there is a program for you, and they had just started at this hospital a meeting, or they were trying to start this meeting at this hospital. And a little lady named Babs B was speaking that night. And what he said was, there is a meeting for you that you need to go to. What I heard was, there's a meeting that you need to go to to keep him sober. Something else to do. And uh, so... So I started going to Al-Anon, and I thought, okay. You know, and I heard Babs talk, and she had about eight kids, and I thought it was hysterical. Eight kids and a drunk husband, and I'm wondering, you know, this woman is a miracle worker. But uh, we started going to, uh, after I could go back in and, and see Larry and uh, take our daughter to see him, we started going to uh, the suburban group. And I was trying to start, this is a blind leading the blind, I don't know what I'm doing, trying to start an Al-Anon group here at the hospital. And I would go over to Suburban on Monday night, and whatever they said, I would bring back on Wednesday nights for our little Al-Anon group that didn't know anything anyway, so hopefully I didn't hurt anybody. Uh, My first sponsor was over at that group, and she was a love. And she helped me, you know, get uh, the, the, you know, first things first and, and all of those little things. And and uh, I've only had three sponsors. Now, the first one, uh, I let her go. I didn't really let her go. I kind of replaced her because she could no longer come to meetings because her son was, her husband had died and her son was, was quite ill and she couldn't go to meetings so I kind of added Gracie to it and and I kept Gracie for oh almost 30 years I, I assume until she died and uh, I've got to tell you someone asked Gracie my sponsor one time um, are we ever fully recovered and she said oh yes honey we're fully recovered when we're covered and I you know and I thought you're right, because this is a journey. This Al-Anon program is a journey. Um, many things, many, many good things have happened to us. I guess I told you a while ago that the miracles started happening right away. Um, at about two years, now, when I started, they did not force, somebody had said it earlier, they did not get you to start doing the steps or anything like that right away. And for about two years, I was riding on just people like me. They would let me come to meetings. They would even invite me to their house. Uh, I, You know, birthday parties or something at the group. And I thought this was wonderful. And uh, they would even let uh, our daughter go. She grew up, actually, in Al-Anon and uh, AA. And... I've got to tell you a story about her. She went to so many AA meetings. Y'all remember the old carpet sweepers? She was playing one day in the room, and she was by herself, and and I happened to look in on her, and she was standing on the carpet sweeper with the handle right in front of her. And she said, My name is Lori, and I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And she's the only one in the room. And then she said, Wait a minute. I don't drink, and got off and went about her business. <laughs> so does that tell you how many meetings she went to? And it also tell you little ears hear everything. <laughs> uh, during this point in time, after we'd gotten into the program, Larry had to go back to jail one last time, we hope. And I took him, and I had to go and pick him up. And so whenever I was picking him up, uh, had to go to this little intake thing and talk to this man. And so when I went up and asked for Larry, this little guard said, 
Mrs. Johnson, it's so good to see you again. Let me tell you about my open heart surgery. And, uh, you know, how many people know the guards that well from just the, <laughs> sick people? That's what it is. <laughs> we, and I was telling you a while ago that um, I was riding high just on friendship and that cloud nine or whatever. And uh, we used to have people that uh, you would invite from out of town. Now, they may come in on the bus, you know, like from Arkansas. Or if they had a car, they might drive in. But what would happen is, like, if they came in on Friday, one group would uh, um, feed them, meet them, and sleep them. And then another group would pick them up the next day and feed them, meet them, and sleep them. And we got this Henry on a Saturday night or something, and he was going home on Sunday. And I can remember now he was walking out to his car, and he was a wonderful AA guy. And I said, Henry, Larry's doing so well in AA now. Why do I have to go to Almont? And he said, well, Sam, you know, if you have two jackasses pulling a cart and one of them sits down, that cart doesn't move worth a flip. <laughs> and he said, but if they're both straightened up and their harnesses are really good on them, you know, they pull that cart just fine. So now what do you think you ought to do? That kept me in Al-Anon. I got to thinking, you know, if he's doing so good, I better figure out what in the world is going on here and maybe take some of these steps and uh, see what is going on because I don't want him to be like I'd heard about doctors that have this wife that put them through medical school and then trade them in for a younger model. And this sort of thing, I thought, no, not going to happen to me. <laughs> so I didn't want him to uh, trade in me for a younger uh and better-looking alcoholic with keen minds and beautiful because there for a while I bought into that deal. They kept telling me that uh, alcoholics had a keen mind and were so smart and so beautiful and this sort of thing that, uh, you know, that it was just wonderful. And I kept thinking, I wonder what I am, chopped cheese? What, what, what? You know, and I bought into this, and I was absolutely horrified of AA women because I just knew they were smarter and prettier and all of this kind of stuff. And the dumbest things get through to me. You know, um, we were at a birthday uh, or an anniversary meeting, and a dear friend of ours who is in AA, a woman, was standing there and it was time to eat and she was standing there and she said hmm and she was not talking to anybody in particular she was just mouthing I wonder why the Alamans don't go in and uncover that food and for some reason I spoke up and I said why do Alamans have to do that and she said oh, you're right and so she went and uncovered the food and I got to eat first instead of her <laughs> But this broke my fear of AA women. I love them to death. I've gone to many conferences that were just, I was the only Allen on there, but they accepted me anyway. Like I say, I grew up, our dates used to be, um, we would go to meetings uh, on Saturday night at the, maybe the 8 o'clock and then at 10 o'clock, and then we might go to a movie or we might go to the midnight you know, candlelight meeting or something. That was our dates. That was our courtship after we were married and after we got into AA and Al-Anon. And uh, many miracles, like I say, have happened since then. I, in 1973, uh, and I've got to tell you all, I'm the follower. I, you know, <laughs> I only go out in front whenever I have to or something of the sort. But um, in 73, Larry was helping, being of service at a, uh, the state convention in Texas. And uh, I got to meet Lois Wilson. And uh, I got to have coffee with her. Now, I thought she was a sweet little old lady and all. And it was much later that I realized, oh, my God, what a privilege this has been. You know, 
I was able to meet Marty Mann. And uh, I've been able to meet many heroes and go to Bedford Hills and all of this. And like I say, I just tag along after Larry. I mean, he does the work and, and this sort of thing, and I tag along and enjoy all the benefits, in my opinion. But uh, many other things have happened. Uh, at one point in time, we thought, uh, okay, I'm going to Al-Anon, and he's going to AA, and we kind of kept them separate. You know, it's my program. You don't need to know anything about it. And we got to think about this one day. Um, in our home, it's our program. We have as much Al-Anon stuff and AA stuff, and we're both free to do it. And, you know, our sponsors tell us to pray in the morning and at night and this sort of thing. And uh, this was going on, but one of us was usually going into the bathroom or some other place. And all of a sudden, it was like, why are we doing this? This is our program. And so we had started praying together, kneeling by the bed and, and, and praying together. And I tell you what, it's real hard to fight if you're going to pray together, I assure you. And uh, this has brought us together. Uh, other miracles that have happened, uh, It's uh, it's been almost four years now since I'm cancer-free. Uh, And this, when we, this was back in 07. Um, it was very, very humbling. Whenever I found out I had breast cancer, um, I don't know, AA and Al-Anon have a network that's much faster than the telephone company or anything else. And all of a sudden I was getting cards and phone calls and prayers. I kid you not, from the East Coast to the West Coast and all in between. And I can remember one little lady that I, I don't know, Larry didn't know her, I got a card from her saying, you know, it's rainy here and cold, but I'm hoping that you're warm and snug and having a wonderful day. And signed her name. I do not know who this person is, but she didn't give me a return address either. So I could not, you know, thank her for that. It's very, very humbling knowing that people are praying for you and wishing you well, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast and all in between. Um, another miracle that has happened, I was telling you about Lori, the one that said that she was an alcoholic. She's an MRI tech in um, Spartanburg Regional in, in uh, South Carolina. And uh, one day they had to do some new protocols on their machines and this sort of thing to see if it was working right to set up the right protocols. And everybody in that building, for some reason, could not get in the machine. You have to have a person in the MRI machine to set the protocols and so forth. Lori was the only one that could get in there. She had one that was pregnant and they didn't want to do that and one that had to run it and there was only two or three of them. So she got crawled in there and put on her headset and, and uh, this sort of thing and they took the protocols and, and she got out and they were looking at it and uh, she said, what is this? So there is a spot on her pancreas and uh, of course uh, the uh, radiologist there, the doctor said, go to your doctor right now and take these. And so she went to her doctor and she had to have, um, now y'all know that if you see anything on your pancreas it's you, and if you're feeling it, it's too late. So, But she wasn't feeling anything. She went to the doctor and they were able to do an operation on her and uh, they took out her spleen and took out part of her pancreas and where this whatever was, growth was, and she's doing great. Now, is that an honor miracle? Uh, you know, in 07, I told you I was wearing glasses. Um, I no longer had to wear glasses except to read up close or anything because uh, they did an operation on my eyes. God is good. And, you know, to me, these are, these are big miracles. But we have many little miracles in our life. We just have to be grateful for them. Al-Anon has taught me uh, to be grateful. 
and you show your gratitude by your attitude usually. I know a lot of people have talked about attitudes. You know, in the Allen, uh, I believe it's at the start of it, it says changed attitudes can aid recovery. And this is really, really true. You just have to change your point of view on how you work this program or what's going on in your life. And anything is possible after that. If you change your attitude and pray to God, I think anything is possible. Um, I don't know what I was going to tell you about the attitudes before that, but uh, (laughs) I've gone completely blank. And I told Ortha I may talk for 15 minutes or 78 or whatever it was that he told me that was on the tape. But uh, (laughs) we've had nothing but good things happen in our life. I was going to tell you about the tools that Al-Anon has given me. And one of the little known tools, uh, the tools are like calling people, showing up at meetings, you know, having a sponsor, having numerous friends in in both an AA and an Al-Anon. I've got another one for you that you may not know about. But we all wear a little tool belt, you know, for Al-Anon. And I have found that one of the best things in my tool belt is invisible duct tape. And many times I have to whoop it out and put it over my mouth in order to uh, retain my serenity. (laughs) And I told you my serenity started, or maybe I didn't, I don't know. The start of my serenity was uh, September the 28th, 1972. Now, serenity comes and goes depending on your state of mind and where you are with God. Another thing that they have taught me in Al-Anon is, hey, If you forgot to pray this morning, you better stop right now and start your day all over with a prayer. And uh, and you can start, if you're having a bad day, just start it over again. There's no reason then why you can't do that. And what it's given me is it's been a long time since I have gone anywhere that I did not know one person, at least, in a meeting or at a conference or whatever, And for me, that is so reassuring, and it makes me feel safe and wonderful because Al-Anon and AA is a safe place. And I know that hope lives in Al-Anon, and I'm sure hope lives in AA. And I thank you guys so much for letting me come and just talk. I'm not a speaker, but thank you so much.